Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we're talking with Bishop George V. Murray of Youngstown, Ohio. Bishop George Murray is a member of the Jesuit Order. He has served as Auxiliary Bishop of Chicago and as Bishop of St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. He's been the Bishop of the Diocese of Youngstown, Youngstown since 2007, and he now chairs the US, U.S. Bishop's Ad Hoc Committee on Racism. He was in Baltimore in November for the fall meeting of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, where we caught up with him. Welcome to the show, Bishop Murray. Thanks very much, Chris. Can you give us a brief recap of the report on the Committee of Racism that you delivered to the bishops yesterday? Well, basically, uh, what I said was that the conference has decided to make the eradication of racism a major priority. As a result, an ad hoc committee has been established. That is the highest form of committee within the conference. And a number of bishops and a number of lay consultants from a variety of fields are members and consultants to that uh, committee. I talked to the bishops about the reality of racism in our country, the need for us to be a moral voice against racism, and then I describe some of the actions that we will be taking because, as I said yesterday, the point is not to simply issue documents. The point is to give people equipment so that they can change hearts and eventually change behavior. Now, the committee was established right after <coughs> the incidents in Charlottesville, Virginia this summer, yes. but it really has its basis much deeper than that. Uh, you know, if we look at the some of the shootings of uh, police-involved shootings of, of black uh, young men uh, over the, the years and uh, several other things, all of those kind of came into this feeling that the bishops needed to not just say something, but do something. That's exactly right. Uh, Charlottesville was the most recent precipitating incident. But uh, almost a year ago, the president of the conference established a uh, task force to look at the relationships between communities and uh, law enforcement in the light of so many shootings of, uh, of unarmed African-American men. So this is an evolution uh, from that. Uh, the Committee Against Racism will take the recommendations from uh, Archbishop Wilton Gregory's committee, his task force, uh, and implement those, uh, those that have not already, already been implemented. What are some of the most difficult aspects of addressing <clears throat> racism in our society today? I think that there are a number. The first one is the um, attitude is not the precise word, but uh, we'll use it it's, mm. even though it's uh, lacking. But uh, there is an, an attitude that many people have that there's no need to address uh, mm. racism, that uh, either racism doesn't exist or that it is so minor, it affects so few people that it, it 
there's no need to spend time and effort on it. Now, I've heard some people say, well, we've had a black president, therefore there's no racial divide anymore. Exactly. And um, I wish that were the case. But in fact, when you look at the news day after day, you see these incidences where people are being uh, either outright um, vicious or they're at least being insensitive. I was checking the news this morning and I saw a, um, a report about a sports writer who had written something because of an argument between uh, two basketball players. And uh, people felt that it was, many people uh, in terms of response, felt that it was a racist uh, remark. And we still see the, uh, the effects of discrimination and of segregation across our country. So uh, to say that racism doesn't exist, I think, is um, at best naive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is that some people think that we should um, not talk about this in public. We should talk about it in private. I had a reporter ask me about that. Why can't we talk about this in private? Well, unfortunately, the manifestations of uh, uh, racial hatred are in public. Charlottesville was a public event. And Mm -hmm. as I mentioned yesterday, uh, sometimes Hispanic children will talk about names being called at them as they're walking uh, to school. Uh, When an African-American student goes into the library and finds um, racial epithets scrawled on the wall, that's in public. Mm -hmm. I think that um, we live the gospel in public, and we need to respond to actions that are contrary to the gospel and evil in public. Mm -hmm. I just heard a report this morning that there's a, a major bank that is closing several branches in the Baltimore area, and they've realized that most of the ones that are being closed are in black communities, and the ones that are staying open are in white communities. Now, the bank says, well, there's seven other branches within four miles of that branch that's being closed. But the point, we've talked for many years about food deserts in in black and and Hispanic communities, and now we're talking about banking deserts, which then just kind of perpetuates that cycle of poverty and and the inability to to rise above that. Is that some of what your committee is looking at, these kinds of almost insidious racisms that are that are almost hidden because it's it's hard to, to see that it's, they're not as public as, as Charlottesville right we do have to uh, take a broad look at uh, the effects of racism the uh, results of racism now I have no idea and uh, I don't think anybody can at this point know the motivation behind those banks I don't know the situation. Mm-hmm precisely here in Baltimore. What I do know is that people in poor communities, whether they be Native American, Hispanic American, Asian American, African American, uh, they need banking services. Mm -hmm. And this decision could be an economic decision. Many companies are downsizing. Uh, It could be something more. I don't know. But we need to help people to ask those questions. The Catholics involved with that bank should be raising questions about what are we doing, how are we fulfilling our responsibility to people who are uh, poor and underserved. Mm -hmm. That, I think, becomes the issue. And that's what our committee wants to do, is to raise that consciousness, which then leads to action. Yesterday, you talked about the bishop's 1979 letter, Brothers and Sisters to Us, 
Um, and you, and you, you quote from that saying that racism is the sin that says some human beings are inher- inherently superior and others essentially inferior because of races. How do we as a society deal with something that's not just a problem, but it's a sin? Well, I think that um, we look at it from the standpoint of uh, what do we do with other sins? When we commit uh, a serious sin, the church tells us that we need to uh, acknowledge that sin, confess that sin, ask for forgiveness, and then to make restitution. Um, acknowledging that sin is the public dimension of, mm-hmm. of this. Uh, we need to face the fact that uh, some people in our society have been treated in ways that indicate that the majority feels that they are inferior, when in fact every human being, every human being from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death is valuable. Every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. We have to keep reminding ourselves of that. We need to hear that in uh, uh, the preaching we receive on Sunday, and we need to live that. And once we are aware of that sin, we have to ask forgiveness of each other, and then we have to work toward uh, restoring what has been taken away unjustly. Part of that confession and reconciliation part is kind of that pledge to try not to do it again. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) A firm purpose of amendment. (laughs) Yeah. So that's great. So after the break, we're going to talk some more with Bishop George Murray about the U.S. Bishop's Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Fifteen choirs will participate in the world premiere of Smoky Mountain Christmas at Carnegie Hall in New York City, November 27th. Only one has a Catholic connection, the adult choir from St. John Parish in Westminster. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, said Regina McCurdy, director of liturgical music for the largest parish in Carroll County. The adult choir consists of 29 members. 19 will travel to Manhattan the day after Thanksgiving for a five-day, four-night stay. Between nine to 10 hours a day will be spent in rehearsal for a work that was written by conductor-composer Joseph Martin, who will also lead the performance. McCurdy, a senior employee relations manager for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, has been involved in the adult choir for 12 years. Matthew Ogden, its director, has been working with the group for about two years. It is above average for your typical Catholic parish, Ogden said. The talent is extraordinary. For more and to see a video of the choir in rehearsal, visit catholicreview.org. People have a basic choice in the way they live, either striving to build up treasures on earth or giving to others in order to gain heaven, Pope Francis said. What we invest in love remains. The rest vanishes, the Pope said in his homily November 19th, the first world day of the poor. Between 6,000 and 7,000 poor people attended the Mass in St. Peter's Basilica as special guests. While almost all of them live in Europe, they include migrants and refugees from all over the world. Among the altar servers were young men who were either poor, migrants, or homeless. For more information, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is George Matasek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? 
Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to The Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. The season of sacraments is nearly here. First Holy Communion, Confirmation, and Weddings. Visit the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral, and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs. From beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses, statues and one-of-a-kind rosaries, the Basilica gift shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs, and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish in everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for hours and directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m. are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back talking with Bishop George Murray about the U.S. Bishop's Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism. Bishop Murray is the Bishop of Youngstown, Ohio, and we caught up with him while he was in Baltimore in November for the fall meeting of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. Some people have been defending racist demonstrations, especially Charlottesville, if we look at that, that's the most recent. and speech by by citing the First Amendment, saying, Mm -hmm. I'm allowed to say this. Um, How do you respond to that? Well, I was asked that question yesterday in in a different form, and uh, my response to that is that uh, we have the First Amendment to the Constitution, which allows for free speech. It's not so much the freedom to make those statements, it's the desire. Why do we want to make those statements. Why do people who consider themselves Christians, for example, uh, who are proud of the fact that they are uh, Christians, why are they uh, uh, excluding people who are different from themselves? I'm not arguing for any sort of change in the Constitution. I'm not arguing in any way to say that, that certain people don't have a right to say that. In the American system, they do. My question is, why do they want to say that? Why would any of us who believe in Jesus Christ and believe in what Jesus Christ said and the life that he he led, why would any of us want to attack other people and dismiss them as less than human? Mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about yesterday about the the church's track record on this, that that we have done much, but there is more we could do. And there were times we didn't do what we should have been doing. Right. How do, you, how do you deal with that? How do we deal with that as Catholics to understand that we, we weren't always good on this and we need to do better? Well, I think we can go back to what we talked about earlier about how we deal with sin. 
um, one of the things that happens in confession is we have to take an honest look at ourselves. And when we do, we realize that there are areas of darkness and light in all of our lives. As Pope Francis has, has pointed out to the consternation and shock of some people, he said, all of us are sinners. He said, I am a sinner. And there's that wonderful image of Pope Francis before hearing confessions one mm. evening in St. Peter's. He went to confession. That poor great priest witness. must have been terrified. Yes. But that's great <laughs> as, he, as he said, there, he didn't expect the Pope yeah. to come over. But um, I think the same thing is true uh, here. And uh, the church is a collection of sinners. And Jesus came to save us. If, if we were not sinners, there was no point in Jesus coming. As the church, I think we have to look at our past. And there have been moments of great light, and there have been moments of great darkness. However, recognizing that we can be saints, even though at times we don't act like saints, but that we have individuals who have shown us that we can be the best human beings that God intended us to be. That's our hope. Mm -hmm. If we get lost in, we miss this opportunity, we made this mistake, then we slide back into either a fatalism or, a de or depression. If we look at the people like St. Peter Claver, who were courageous in reaching across the racial divide, and we say, I can do that. That's our hope for the future. That's a great start. When, how can the Catholic Church and, and I guess other churches, other religious denominations, how can we affect systemic racism in society and how do we work together to do that? First of all, we have to have conversation. We have to bring people together, which is why in early uh, 2018, in January or February, we're going to have an ecumenical gathering of leaders from across the country to talk about this issue. We have to build bridges to each other so that we say we are standing together to uh, confront this problem. And then uh, working as uh, religious leaders, we have to call ourselves first and then those who, uh, to whom we, uh, uh, we are assigned or those to whom we serve, we have to call them to start looking at these structures, which many people don't, don't see. I mean, mm -hmm. people will say to me, um, uh, I personally am not a racist. And they're probably right. Uh, most times they are right. But they don't see that there are sometimes systems that have been developed over time that become roadblocks for people who are in the minority. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have to start the process of dismantling those systems so that all can be free. Our own Archbishop William Lurie is a consultant to your committee, um, yes. especially in light of some of the struggles we've had here in Baltimore after the death of Freddie Gray in police custody, the riots that followed. Um, the bishops celebrated Mass last year at St. Peter, Peter Claver Church, just blocks from where all of that unrest took place. As you look at it uh, from, from outside, are, what kinds of things can we here in Baltimore and in Maryland do to fight racism concretely? Well, um, I would hesitate to make concrete suggestions for Baltimore because I, I'm not here. I don't know the situation. I've, I've read things in the paper, but oftentimes those things are, are distorted. Mm -hmm. Wherever we are, I think that 
we have to make more than symbolic gestures. The fact that Peter Claver Church is where it is in mm -hmm. Baltimore, the history of Peter Claver Church in reaching out to the community is both a symbol and a sign. Uh, and I think the efforts of the archdiocese to uh, bridge the gap in, in some of the uh, struggling communities, to reach out to people in those communities are, are positive things that can be done. However, we cannot stop in the community around St. Peter Claver. Right. There also has to be discussions about this in the suburbs and help people to understand why the people in the inner city neighborhood felt and feel the way uh, they did and do, uh, and what led to um, those problems, and how can we participate in resolving those problems. So it, it, it has to be a two-pronged approach. Uh, there has to be outreach, care, and concern for the people who are the victims of, uh, of racism. Mm -hmm. And um, there also has to be a challenge and education of people who are outside of the inner city so that they can come to realize what the people in the inner city are experiencing and how they, in simple ways, can help to alleviate some of those problems. You were a member of the, you were a member of the Synod of Bishops on the Family yes. in 2015. What can families do to fight racism? And, and is that important? Is the, is the family important to this? It's extremely important along with education because racism is learned and it's reinforced by uh, uh, social experiences. The family has an important role because, uh, as we said in that document coming out of the Senate, uh, but it also it had been said earlier, it was reaffirmed by the Senate on the family. The family is the domestic church, and the church is the place where Jesus lives among us. So families need to help each other, especially their children, to recognize that every human being is created in the image and likeness of God. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be prayed for. It needs to be a part of uh, a family life. I'm always impressed by families that, um, as a family, work with underserved populations, even if it's tutoring or if it's going to, to a, a soup kitchen. Uh, it's something concrete that the family can do to help them realize that not everybody is as well off as they are, and there are people who have less, and we have a responsibility and faith to help them. So I think family life is extremely important. As uncomfortable as it may be, these issues have to be raised, I think, within families and also in our educational system, mm -hmm. um, in our schools, in our elementary schools, our high schools, our universities, in our religious education programs. We have to emphasize the equality of all before God. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. We've got just a little bit of time left, and I wanted to ask you, as the former Bishop of St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands, uh, do you have some information on the recovery efforts there and what people here in the United States can do to help them? Well, I was speaking to uh, the Bishop of the Virgin Islands 
yesterday, and there is extensive damage. There's, there's no way around that. The best thing that people here can do is contribute through Catholic Charities to the relief efforts. Sister Donna Markham, the president of Catholic Charities USA, spoke to us yesterday and, and talked about the uh, tremendous response from across our country for uh, not only for uh, Texas, but also for uh, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Mm -hmm. uh, what they need now are funds to rebuild. So whatever we can do to help right. would be Sending them blankets good. and T-shirts isn't going to be it. That's they, not going to help. They, start, they, <laughs> they don't need, need those. No, they need a lot more than that. <laughs> they need a lot more than that. Well, thanks so much for being here. Uh, we appreciate having you with us today to, to talk about this important topic. We've been talking with Bishop George Murray about the U.S. Bishop's Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism. Thank you so much for being with us. Today. You're welcome, Chris. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.